They have a doctor who's an allopathic doctor. So many of our clients come to us and say, you know, my doctor told me that I had to lower my A1C (laughs) and that's, that's all they got. Like I have to lower my A1C. Okay. Now what? And they go home and they have a cabinet full of Oreos and spaghetti and they have absolutely no idea that pasta sauce and bread doesn't need to have sugar in it and that we need to read ingredients and that if we combine fiber with carbohydrates then it reduces our glycemic index. And so why is health coaching the future of functional medicine? Because it's teaching, it's educating people on how to live differently on a day-to-day basis. And that really is the prescription that's going to keep them well. Welcome to She Empowers the Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Kayla Lucas. I'm a mom of two, a family-focused chiropractor, a trailblazing entrepreneur, and a holistic mindset queen. I am on a mission to empower women to lead themselves and their families to greater health and wellness in their personal lives and businesses. Each week, I'm sharing inspiring content that will give you the tools to navigate your own wellness journey, grow your businesses, expand your mind, and take care of the ones you love. This is your space to feel supported, inspired, and empowered. Let's get into it. Hello, beautiful. Welcome back to another episode of She Empowers the Podcast. Thank you for being here and sharing space with us today. I'm so excited to bring you another beautiful guest. I have Hallie Brooke on with us today. She is the founder and CEO of Live Nourish Coaching. She is a certified functional medicine nutrition counselor and nationally board certified health and wellness coach, Fox 21 fitness and nutrition expert, and really just a fierce industry advocate. I have been consuming your content, Hallie, and I really like how you're sharing a lot about your personal experience of overcoming serious GI issues and how you are building a thriving nationwide functional medicine health coaching practice that works with clients in all areas of life. So welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. It's wonderful to be on. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I know that we're going to dive into quite a few different topics surrounded around health, but I just really want to get a little bit of your essence and who you are and why you've decided to do this work and why you love your work and where you're at in the world today. Yeah, absolutely. So how I ended up here, I came out of college thinking I wanted to do pre-med, ended up doing a kind of a two-year stint in Teach for America, which is you know teaching in kind of inner city poverty schools and fell in love and stayed for nine years. So nine years later, I'm still teaching math and ended up, I mean, it's it's such a high stress job, ended up super sick and had the most wild grouping of symptoms. I had IBS and gas and bloating. So kind of the obvious ones, I had eczema and psoriasis. I had dark circles under my eyes that had zero relation to the amount of sleep that I got. My arms would go numb when I ate gluten, like just insane, weird things. And so I went to a bunch of different doctors, no one could figure out what was going on. And I ended up having one gastroenterologist tell me, well, if chicken and lettuce works for you, then you should just eat that. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot eat chicken and lettuce for the rest of my life. There has to be a different answer. And so I sort of stumbled into functional medicine, looking for solutions for myself and started learning about the gut brain access and stress and, you know, the microbiome and all of these pieces. And by that point I had left teaching and gotten a personal training certificate because teaching was 
the most rewarding and the most challenging career I've ever had. And so I had moved on from that. And I'm talking to my clients about all the things that I'm learning and functional medicine and nutrition and gut health. And it was my clients who said, oh my gosh, Hallie, this is your thing. You have to go back to school. So I went back to school and um, sort of pivoted my personal training practice into this functional medicine, nutrition, and health coaching practice. And then the pandemic happened and it exploded because so many people were looking for you know, how to keep their bodies healthy. And so now I'm mostly in kind of director of business development role and my team does the coaching and we've, we've grown nationwide. We have a client in Australia where it's just beyond what I could have ever dreamed. Oh, that's so amazing. And (laughs) such a a big shift so early on into your career, but I do think that there's a lot of people who are trying to navigate their health journey because they are left with unanswered questions or lack of resources and just not knowing where to go. And in my chiropractic practice, the gut components in women's health is even men's health. I know we're speaking to women on the podcast, but it is so substantial how messed up our digestive systems are, how many people have SIBO, how many people have to go get regular colonoscopies and have IBS and Crohn's and diverticulitis. And it's astounding. And I think Mm -hmm. that we are sort of really seeing that shift post pandemic, like you're saying of people wanting to find more answers and more tools. How do you implement that kind of those aspects into the functional medicine and health coaching side of things? Yeah, totally. So when someone comes to us, so we we are really intentional to stay in scope of practice as health coaches. So we are not doctors. We are not going to prescribe, et cetera. So there's two ways that we do that. The first way is, you know, there there is a ton that we can do through diet and lifestyle change to help someone heal their gut, whether they have SIBO or diverticulitis. There's so many things that we can do that are really kind of what I call two degree shifts. Like they're not big, massive 180 degree turns and they can make big differences. So when someone first comes to us, we do what's called birth till now intake. And the goal of that intake is for both for us to understand how we ended up here. So where did they start and how did we get here? But then also for them to be able to see things for maybe a bigger picture that they weren't noticing before. I had a client who came to us. Um, he's a man, which is hilarious. Uh, but he is a construction worker and he pours concrete and he owns his company. And he had such bad IBS that there were times that he had to just like run behind his truck and poop because he like he didn't have time to go drive to the 7-Eleven down the road because he was so sick. Mm-hmm. And in doing that birth till now intake, like, yes, that's for us so that we can understand what's going on and we can kind of help guide him. But one of the things that he discovered in doing that intake with us is he goes, oh my gosh, this all started when I started my business. And we said, hmm, interesting. What changed? And he goes, well, what changed is I used to just show up to work and then leave work. Now I have so much stress because I'm carrying all the stress of my entire business. And so we were able to talk to him about what cortisol does to your microbiome and how cortisol changes your microbiome and how IBS and stress are linked. And it was him who went, okay, so I actually have to learn how to manage my stress. And we said, yes. That's what we have to do. So anyway, we do a birth till now intake, and then we do what's called a food mood poop journal, which mm-hmm. is literally what it sounds like. We, we track what they eat, their mood and their energy level. So energy level zero to 10, and then mood literally on a feelings wheel, happy, angry, sad, mad, and then what's coming out of them. Um, and that gives both us and them a really clear picture of how their body is processing food and 
uh, food, both physically and chemically. And one of my favorite things to ask clients once they've done a food mood poop journal is what did you notice? Because I can take that and I can point things out, but without fail every single time people go, oh my gosh, I realized that when I eat this at lunch, I crash around too. Oh, interesting. And so it's this lifestyle way that we can navigate healing and we get amazing results by people getting awareness of what's happening in their bodies. Such a good a way to build the foundation from that birth to now aspect, because I think that a lot of people are very confused about why their body does the things that it does or why it doesn't do the things that it does. And we can just honestly, I think so many people are walking around just like living with whatever X symptom, X disease, and they just see this aspect of it as normal. And I know that, you know, your specialty is with the GI and kind of reconnecting the gut and the brain. But I think there is a whole plethora of reasons why people seek health coaches. Can you speak to that for our audience today? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people, I feel like I get people in two separate categories. So the first category that I get are people who come to us on kind of their last resort because they've been to multiple practitioners who have just said, you know, chicken and lettuce is the rest of your life as an example. And so what's so sad is that so many Western medicine doctors, and I I always preface this by saying, I love Western medicine. I think it is so important and it is truly a miracle and we need it. And it is so limited in its scope that a lot of those people come to us and they have not one time had a conversation with their doctor about how their stress is affecting their body or how well, the things that they're eating are affecting their body. Like none of their doctors have said, hey, let's maybe try an elimination food plan and see if you have some food sensitivities. And so we either get people who are coming to us as a last resort because everything else has failed, or we get people who are coming to us who are who are realizing that what they do on a Tuesday has a greater effect on their body than, you know, X, Y, Z medication. And so, and they don't know how to, how to make those changes. You know, we have so many people who come to us who are busy moms who have three kids and know that they need to eat differently, but the reality is they're eating their kids leftover mac and cheese because that's what's easy. And, and they don't have the, the tools and the resources and the skills to figure out how to take care of themselves. And so we need, we need to work through lifestyle changes to build that. And those are kind of the two categories of people that we get. I also think it's like, you're saying so many true things, like just in terms of our Western medicine, having limitations, is it necessary to have for sure? But I think that this is really where that holistic arts and that natural healthcare shine through because we're really trying to get to the root cause. We're trying to help people live well and stay well. And I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been educational enough in our systems as children and even into our adult life for us to know how to like navigate that. And, and I think that it can be overwhelming for people to even want to try, but moms say all the time, they're like, I'm like, what are you eating? And they're like, Oh, like I'm skipping meals. And I'm mm, like, I sometimes eat and I'm like, Oh, it's like just like the foundational <laughs> pillars, right? That we sort of have this stronghold on that we don't know what to do with. So, you know, I really love health coaches. I, I think that they are a little bit of the future of medicine. I think that the holistic practices are the future of medicine and healing ourselves and understanding what we can do. Why do you think health coaching is such a pivotal part of having great health and wellness? Yeah, I love that question. So 
I think future, I, I think health coaching is the future of medicine because of the positive psychology that plays into health coaching and because of the focus on behavior change. I think really health coaches are designed to work in a collaborative care model. I think health coaches do best when they are working with a practitioner, with a doctor, with a nutritionist, with a chiropractor, because those are two different skill sets. You know, the the doctor, the practitioner is there to to find the root cause and to do the detective work and to do the digging and to run the labs and really to create the plan. And then the health coach is there to help that client walk that plan out. We now have, I think it's something like 90% of all illness in the United States right now is chronic illness, like type two diabetes, Alzheimer's, all of these things that are so preventable Mm -hmm. and all of these things that have everything to do with lifestyle. And so why is health coaching the future of medicine? Because really the treatment to that, the quote unquote prescription for those chronic diseases is lifestyle. It's going to the grocery store and putting things in your cart that are going to nourish your body and that are going to um, keep your glycemic index under control and that are going to support your gut so that we see a decrease in these, these mental issues. And that's where clients, patients, I feel like struggle the most, whether they have a doctor who has you know, a functional bent, or they have a doctor who's an allopathic doctor. So many of our clients come to us and say, you know, my doctor told me that I had to lower my A1C (laughs) and that's, that's all they got. Like I have to lower my A1C. Okay. Now what? And they go home and they have a cabinet full of Oreos and spaghetti and they have absolutely no idea that pasta sauce and bread doesn't need to have sugar in it and that we need to read ingredients and that if we combine fiber with carbohydrates and it reduces our glycemic index. And so why is health coaching the future of functional medicine? Because it's teaching, it's yeah. educating people on how to live differently on a day-to-day basis. And that really is the prescription that's going to keep them well. I, I love everything you just said. And I also have to agree, like the teaching component, the root word of doctor means to teach. So if we're in an allopathic model and we're seeing such a high rate of chronic disease, we're failing and falling short as a society in terms of building abundant health and wellness, because if we're not having those conversations, that teaching component is being lost generationally. It's also really hard to avoid a lot of the processed foods. Many people feel super uncomfortable with reading labels, but I want to touch on one point. You said the mindset shifts. And I think foundationally, when we do anything for our health or our wellness or any type of change we want to make, it has to be an internal decision. And I also believe that when we are aware of our thoughts and our mindset and maybe some of our self-limiting beliefs or even just preconditioning, we have so much more power as a person and an individual to make long-term changes. What are the biggest mindset shifts you see with clients and in your practice yeah. Oh gosh, that is such a good question. So I'm going to answer that with a story. Sure. Um, Cause I think this client highlights kind of most of the common ones. So we have a client who came to us who is dealing with Hashimoto's. So an autoimmune condition, she's also overweight and definitely pre-diabetic, if not right on the borderline of being type two diabetic. And so her doctor said, you know, you have to figure this out. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't okay you know, her doctor spends seven minutes with her and, and came back and was like, here's six medications that you can go on to solve this. And she wisely went, "Mm, before I do that, I'm going to see if there's anything else that I can do. And so she came to us and she said, okay, 
you know, this is what I'm dealing with. These are the things that I need to do. And so we did our full intake. We did our food mood poop journal and we said, okay, here's kind of, I like to think about it as a stack of stepping stones. If you picture going to a a Home Depot and getting those concrete stepping stones, and then you're going to build a path from point A to point B, we said, okay, here's those stepping stones. So it's going to be changing your diet and changing your movement and all of these things. And she goes, I don't know how to do that. And here's the three reasons she gave. She said, "Um, I only eat out. I don't know how to cook. And I don't like cooking. She said, I hate exercising. It's really hard. And my job is overwhelming. I don't, this, this woman probably works 80 hours a week at her job. And she's like, there's no way that I, I have time for those things. And I said, okay, those are all real, very real barriers, not knowing how to cook, not liking how cooking, not enjoying moving your body and having a job that takes every ounce of waking energy. Those are real barriers. And here's the reality. You have a choice right now to change the way you're living or to go on six medications. Neither of those are necessarily the wrong choice, but it is a choice that you have to make. And so we have baby step by baby step started to move in a direction of changing the way she eats, changing the way she moves and and focusing on reducing her stress at work, but they're all really tiny things. So so here's an example of how we did that. So, okay, I don't like to cook. I don't know how to cook. Okay, that's totally fine. Can we start to order things since you only eat out that are 50% vegetables? Okay, yeah, I can. You know, in order instead of getting the Chick-fil-A sandwich, I can go to Chipotle and I can get the vegetarian bowl and I can load it up with all the veggies. Okay. Great. That's that's a good shift. Can we on the weekend maybe try to make breakfast? And she's like, yeah, okay, I can try to make breakfast. And then we start to play with some fun recipes for breakfast. And now she's starting to enjoy making breakfast and starting to get curious about making dinner. So what are those mindset shifts? The biggest one is I can't do I can. The second biggest one is I don't know how to I'm learning how. Mm-hmm. And when we can start to shift those things from I can't to I can, and I don't know how to, I'm learning how we start to move in the direction of healing. And we start to help people start to take steps towards being well. Mindset is really you taking your power back in the the victim of like, well, I can't, I'm, I don't know how this is the barrier. Like you said, those very real barriers to, but I'm in the driver's seat and I get to decide what I'm going to put in my body and what feels good and what feels aligned. And I also think it helps build confidence. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't have that confidence. So it's it's so much easier just to fall back into old patterns of habit or routine that are just so familiar and so comfortable to you and binge watch Netflix and snack <laughs> all night, right? Like it, yep. these are real things that we do and, and we almost self-sabotage ourselves with making change. We want to make a change, but we don't want to put the effort in. Mm-hmm. But I think that for any person listening, if you're making any change in your health, it takes effort, it takes intention, and it takes attention. And that's just yep. like the the truth, right? And, and I think some people are always a little bit like not ready to hear that. So I love that you're working on the mindset stuff because I think it's such a pivotal part in creating change. Thank I really you. Wanna, you. Yeah, I really wanna ask you, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning about functional medicine. And I think that a lot of people are not even sure what functional medicine is and how it can be used to work hand in hand with either traditional medical practice or even just on its own to enrich a person's life. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we say functional medicine is root cause medicine. So instead of going and playing whack-a-mole with a bunch of symptoms, we say, okay, all these symptoms are probably coming from one or two places. Let's go figure out what those one or two places are. And often it's gut health, it's hormone imbalance, it's toxicity, it's an infection that caused some issues. And so if we can go deal with the root cause, then all of the symptoms typically resolve on their own. And so one of the ways that I think that plays into allopathic medicine beautifully um, is, is with that gut brain access. And when it comes to anxiety and depression, so this is my favorite functional medicine example, 95% of our serotonin is actually created in our gut, in our large intestine. And the way that we solve anxiety and depression from an allopathic model is typically with an SSRI or a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. What that is, is that's a drug that prevents a person's body from reabsorbing the serotonin that they already have. Okay. So it, it is a magical, amazing life-saving medicine that someone who's dealing with anxiety and depression can very quickly resolve a lot of those symptoms. But the problem is it doesn't actually address the fact that their body wasn't creating enough serotonin in the first place. So a lot of times when we're working with someone with anxiety and depression, and we get a lot of those people because gut health and brain health are so intricately linked, we will say, you know, I think probably an SSRI is a good thing to talk to your doctor about because it's going to give you space to make some of these life changes. If you are dealing with anxiety and depression and you can't get out of bed, we're, we're probably not going to change the way that you're cooking because right now we're working on brushing your teeth and, and moving. And so having an SSRI to, to give that person that bandwidth to start to make some of these changes, now we can shift into that functional medicine model and say, okay, let's talk about repairing your gut so that we don't have leaky gut and we don't have inflammation in your body because inflammation causes depression. We now, we know what foods to help your body start to create more serotonin and slowly over time, we can work on this root cause. And then we've seen so many patients get off of their SSRIs or their antidepressant medication because we solved the root issue, but we use that allopathic model to give them the bandwidth to make the lifestyle changes that functional medicine requires. Yeah. I I have a lot of patients that are on antidepressants and SSRIs and and many of them feel frustrated that there is no plan to come off, but they want to come off themselves. And I, I tell them all the time, like, you have to find the ways to heal your body from the inside out in order to come off of that and not completely crash. Because yep. with SSRIs, the way that I understand it is like the gap junctions, the neurotransmitters that are between the gap junctions in the brain, all these little neurotransmitters floating around. If you take that medication away, this space is empty and the body makes no sense of the dopamine and the serotonin and all of the things that we need to have a good, happy mood. So I also agree, like there is a place for it, but we should always be working towards getting off of it and doing the work to heal ourselves internally. Cause I think that that's just where healing happens. It's an inside out job. I really want to hear a little bit about your story too, because I think that many people who are on a GI gut journey also realize that this takes a lot of time. Healing the gut is not an overnight thing. And with your history of GI problems, you know, what supports have you found the most helpful in healing that gut? Yeah. Oh man, such a good question. So my journey was probably 
one of the longest. We've now gotten it dialed (laughs) so that it takes 30 to 90 days because I didn't have a guide back when I was going through this in 2014. Gut health was barely coming onto the scene as even a conversation. And so, you know, you had to really go down the Google rabbit trails and and there was some kind of like, you know, it's not woo-woo. It's absolutely scientifically based. But back in 2014, there just wasn't a lot of evidence around you know, gut health and brain health and all of these connections and leaky gut was this really colloquial term that wasn't recognized in the medical community. And now it is. So what really helps? The first thing that really helps is doing an elimination food plan, which is what can be so challenging. But what I see people get really stuck on is they do an elimination food plan. They cut out all these things. They start to feel better and then they just stay on an elimination food plan forever. And that is not what an elimination food plan is designed to do. An elimination food plan is the equivalent of if you have a broken arm, it's removing the thing that broke your arm, right? We were not, you know, if baseball is what caused your arm to break, you got hit by a fastball and that's what broke your arm. We're going to take you out of baseball for a little bit while your arm heals. That doesn't mean that you're never going to go back to baseball. It means that you need to be out of baseball for six to eight weeks while your arm heals. And then you can start to go through rehab and go back to baseball. That's the elimination food plan. And so many people get stuck in that step. They do the elimination food plan. They start to feel better. And then they just stay on the elimination food plan for the rest of their lives and feel super restricted and super frustrated. So what we say is that's step one. And then we follow kind of the IFM Five uh, R plan. So it's remove, repair, replace, reinoculate, and reintroduce. And so remove is that that elimination food plan. We need to take you out of the thing that is hurting you. We need to remove those foods that could be causing issues. But then we need to repair that gut micro that that gut lining. So your epithelial lining of your gut is one cell thick, which is crazy to me. Know, the skin under is. your yeah, the skin under your eyes is thirty cells thick, and that is so delicate. And this this thing in our body that holds all of our fecal matter, all of our all of our food particles, and the majority of the bacteria in our body is one cell thick. It's just yeah. crazy. So it's not it's not hard to get holes in that. So we have to repair that. We have to increase that mucosal lining. We have to give you a couple supplements that kind of work like a band-aid. Band-aids don't make you heal. They just keep stuff out of the wound while you heal. And so we do that. We repair that epithelial lining. And then we want to rebalance that microbiome because most people who are dealing with leaky gut in any form have some imbalance in that bacteria. We have too much of the bad stuff, not enough of the good stuff. So we have to re-inoculate and then we have to rebalance. And the rebalance phase is one of my favorites because that looks at your whole lifestyle. We need to get you moving. We need to focus on your sleep. We need to reduce your stress so that your cortisol isn't wrecking your microbiome every day. Um, So we rebalance your lifestyle and then we reintroduce and we start reintroducing these foods. And for the most part, that fixes people. The thing is, it takes a while. It's a minimum of 30 days. I've seen it take up to 120 days. And I always tell people, you know, they say this takes so long. And I said, yes, but it's also taken you 25, 35, 45 years to get here. And we're going to get you out in like three to six months. (laughs) which is, it's a long time. Three to six months is not short, but it's also not 25 years. And so that's a process, but those five R's remove, repair, re-inoculate, rebalance, and reintroduce. That's, those are the steps. 
I think that's the first time I've heard it that way because so many patients will say, I've cut out gluten and I've cut out dairy. I feel better. But as I start reintroducing it, I've noticed some things come back or if they're breastfeeding and they notice it in their babies. So is this work safe to do if you are, you know, in your prenatal, postnatal journey? Is this something that you guys encourage as well? Yeah, that's a great question. For the most part, yes. There are three supplements that we use, which is L-glutamine, we use a probiotic, and then we use L-theanine to help with the stress. For the most part, those are safe for moms and babies. We always say, please run it by your doctor. So if you are prenatal or you are you know, just postpartum or you're pregnant, can you heal your gut? Absolutely. Because it's not, you're not taking drugs. You're not taking crazy supplements that are going to do damage to your baby. You are healing your body and setting your body up with nutrients to, to heal. And we always say run it by your doctor. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that a lot of people have some confusion around supplements. So I appreciate the transparency and you even just saying that. Cause I think we always like lots of people try to just like DIY their health and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the best method when mm-hmm. Dr. Google is not a doctor and it probably <laughs> is better to have professionals and just a team of people, right? You talked about the integrative wellness approach to this aspect of our health that we need to have relationships with other humans who are educated, who have some type of professional knowledge in this aspect so that we can make the best decisions for ourselves. You know, yeah. I really wanted to ask you too, and in regards to your coaching practice, if someone is feeling like they want to make a change, but they don't feel like they can necessarily like afford the financial aspect of health coaching, where do you recommend starting? Oh, that is such a great question. So I would start with this question, even more than a resource. I would start by asking yourself, what am I nourishing? One of the things that we work with our clients on is by the time they're done working with us, they make, they're able to make 100% nourishing choices 100% of the time, which it does not mean choosing a salad and a run every day. Sometimes that means having the burger and fries and taking a nap. But what we talk about is understanding the choices that we're making. If we are going to make a choice to eat pizza, what are we nourishing? Are we just making an easy choice on a Tuesday, which really isn't a nourishing choice? Or are we having a pizza party with our kids that is a connection thing that is nourishing relationship? And so just being able to get conscious of that when you're choosing a snack or you're deciding whether or not you're going to take a nap or go do a workout, or you are making a choice between coffee and water. If you can just pause long enough to go with this choice, what am I nourishing? That one piece of getting conscious of what we're choosing, why we're choosing it and how we're choosing can make enormous changes in people's lives. So just getting, just starting there. And then the other piece is understanding that very small changes have massive impact on your life. If you take off sailing and you change your tack by two degrees and you sail across the ocean, you will land on a different continent than you did on track A. And so you know, if you aren't able to afford health coaching or you're not sure that that's where you want to go, if you can make a microscopic change, if you can 
put 50% more colorful vegetables on your plate and you can do that for six months, you will land in a different place. If you can get up in the morning and get sunshine on your skin, the first thing you do in the morning, that is such a simple one. You will become a morning person. You will reset your circadian rhythm and you'll start feeling better in every aspect of your life. Like these teeny tiny changes make huge impacts and it doesn't have to be you know, 45 supplements that cost you $500 a month. It can be these little things. So what am I nourishing and what can I change? Yeah. And I think it is that 1% change that people really do underestimate the power in that, the power in showing up, having awareness about what we are choosing and just being conscious of our behaviors. Because I think that This is my perspective as a chiropractor. Yes, I'm focusing on the nervous system, but I'm asking about your poop and your diet, (laughs) how much water you're drinking and your stress levels and how well you sleep because all of that makes up the whole. And I think that we're kind of in congruency with how we're practicing that way. What I do find is that so many people have a really negative relationship with food or a flamboyant relationship with food where it's like, I don't really care. You know, I don't have time. Like, how did we end up getting there? Because our ancestors were eating so well. They were canning goods. They were growing their own food. You know, their animals were grass fed. Like, I understand the evolution of the population and I understand big pharma has a big impact in that. But what advice could you offer someone who is maybe in that place where they just don't have a great relationship with food and They don't have that care aspect of it, which is also impacting how they feel, how they function and what they're able to do. Yeah. I think speed is our number one problem in our modern society. I love Amazon. I think Amazon is fantastic. I think Amazon has absolutely ruined us as a culture. I can click order and it's in my driveway within 24 hours. We have such a culture of immediate gratification and speed that we, especially when it comes to food, food takes time. It takes time to grow from seed to harvest. It takes time to prepare when you buy real whole food ingredients. It's not a 20 minute hamburger helper meal. And so the number one thing you asked me, what's the number one thing I work about work on with clients in terms of mindset. I think this actually might be it. It's speed. It's being willing to slow down enough to design a lifestyle that will facilitate wholeness and healing. When we are in this fast food, everything needs to come to my door immediately. Um, I'm laughing. My husband and I just ordered a chessboard off of Etsy. And my husband goes, by the time that chessboard arrives, we are going to have forgotten that we ordered a chessboard (laughs) because because it's being handmade for us. And that takes time to do things right and to do things well. It takes time. And so being willing to remove that last meeting from your calendar, being willing to have a boundary around work so that you leave at five and you have time to go to the grocery store and get food and cut a red pepper in half and notice how cool those seeds are. That willingness to slow down and you don't have to slow down a ton. I'm not talking about going from, you know, like 60 to 20. I'm talking about maybe going from 90 to 60 miles per hour. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like we just we just need to slow down enough to be able to integrate these things in our life and that is i think probably the number one thing that people run into is they have they're running their kids to six different sports and their job is 60 hours a week and there there truly is no time and so pausing 
slowing down and allowing yourself that deep breath of I'm going to build a little bit of margin into my calendar. This is a long-winded answer, but I'm going to say this too. When we talk about budgeting, budgeting financially, we always talk about having margin in our budget, right? We don't want to budget every single dollar to be spent for something. We want to put some money into savings so that we have this margin. And the same concept applies for time, except that in our modern day society, we budget every single hour of every single day to something. And we don't have any downtime or any margin in our schedule. And that's that's why we eat fast food. That's why we don't prepare meals. That's why our stress is more is more harmful than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just being willing to slow down and being willing to evaluate your life enough to notice how going so fast and so hard all the time is affecting your health in every aspect can change a lot. I love that answer so wholeheartedly and just the conversations that I have with people, you're so right. We are really glorifying this hustle culture mentality. We are opting into all of these extracurriculars with our children. We're not gathering around the supper table. We're not cooking meals together. We're really tarnishing what food is meant to be for us and food is medicine. And I think you would probably agree because if you've had a long history of GI problems and you've used food and intentional supplementation and slowing down and like you're talking these lifestyle practices we have to really question where we're going if we have such a high rate of chronic disease where has that stemmed from and I I think parents who are listening you don't have to feel obligated to opt into all of the activities at every single season like it is okay to say no and it is okay to have seasons where maybe this season is a little bit more demanding from work from family life and maybe the next season you're not actually opting in i think that we have this this pull or i feel it too like even as a parent this pull to like do all the things and put our kids in all the activities but we're not really thinking about the ramifications of that action in our family life and then we start to normalize for our kids that eating convenience-based food is just how it is and we build generations who have more chronic disease so i absolutely 100 agree with you speed is something that we need to just almost intentionally put the slow down put the brake on a little bit and be okay and comfortable if other families are doing it differently if that kid is running to hockey six nights a week because that's what they're deciding that's good for them if it doesn't resonate with you then then don't do it think that we have this this aspect of of our society that we're kind of opting into and i just i don't like it i i don't want to be a part of it like i'm like "Mm, what are we doing here Mm -hmm. I think, um, I talk about the blind yes a lot with my clients, the blind yes of like, oh, that's a good thing. So I'm just going to say yes to it. Too much of a good thing can be too much, Mm -hmm. right? Everything in moderation, probably including moderation itself, you are, you can always back up, you can always back up a no. You know, if you say no and you change your mind later and decide that that is something that you want to do, it is so much easier to switch from a no to a yes than it is to switch from a yes to a no. It is so much harder to enroll your kid in hockey practice and then realize that that was too much for your family and try to back up out of that (laughs) than it is to just say, you know, let's take a week to think about if that's what's right for us. And then you can evaluate and you can think about it and you can, you can 
reverse a no so much easier than you can reverse a yes. But we are so taught, so ingrained to just say yes. If it's a good thing, just say yes. And and too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing because it steals from you slowness and breath and rest and time. And, you know, there's so many studies nowadays that show how crucial boredom is for brain development. And we are not bored. (laughs) We have constant access to entertainment on our phone and Netflix and TV and the 47 sports and the 13 different extracurricular activities that our brains are actually not developing the way that they need to. So just to reinforce that slow is okay. You can always change a no. It's hard to change a yes. I think it's also a people pleaser mentality too. Just like, well, I'm going to just do it because this is expected of me or this is what everyone else is doing. And I think that we naturally want to follow the crowd. But what we're seeing is that repeating these behaviors really doesn't serve us long term. And I think it doesn't allow us to fill up our own cups and and just stop and smell the flowers for a second. You know, like that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a metaphor for life, but it's just so true. Like we need to normalize this aspect of being okay with not doing all of the things because it's really just depleting us of energy, time, resources, and good vibes. Like I, I think yeah. it, when I think of it that way, it's like, yes, it's just, it's good vibes to have downtime. And with my own children, you know, when they come home sometimes and they're like, what, should, what can I do? They've been stimulated all day by daycare or school. And I'm like, why don't you just not do anything? And they almost feel like pissed off about it. They don't uh-huh. want to get bored. I'm like, I know it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be okay. It's okay. But I think even as an adult, like let yourself be bored. You don't need to do right. We're human beings. And I think that that's where a lot of chronic disease and illness come into play is we've actually assumed the role of human doing and we're not checking with ourselves. We're not asking ourselves what we need. We're not nourishing ourselves. We're not having mindfulness practices in our day-to-day lives because it's just an inconvenience. I, I want to ask you, you know, you're you're in this industry and you're seeing it all the time. What parts of your habits and your daily routines do you keep returning to that really serve you? Mm, that's such a good question. So my morning routine is is the one that sets me up the best for the day. A lot of the rest of my day is super variable. Sometimes I'll have clients or client meetings, but that morning routine sets me up. So what I do is I get up, And before passing go, before I brush my teeth, take a shower, make breakfast, anything, I get outside and I get sunshine on my face for at least five minutes. And if it's warm enough, I try to get sunshine in my belly too. Um, I used to have a joke that if I could find someone to make me a morning person, I would pay them an astronomical amount of money because my entire life, I have not been a morning person. I was a swimmer in college. Like we were up at 4am in the pool and I'm, I'm capable of doing it, but I, you know, left to my own devices would sleep until nine or 10 every single day. And probably about a year ago, I figured out this practice of getting up and getting sunshine on my face. And now almost every day I'm waking up around 645 before my alarm is going off because of that one tiny thing that has set my circadian rhythm. And now my body knows when it's day and knows when it's night. So that's a huge one for me. So my morning routine for me is I get up, I get outside in the sunshine for five minutes and then I just move my body however it feels good for five minutes. Like I literally set a timer on my phone. I don't ever go over that. Sometimes I'll stretch. Sometimes I'll go for a walk around my block. Sometimes I'll do some abs and push-ups. like whatever feels good. 
And then I always have a breakfast that is rich in protein. There's so much research on intermittent fasting and all of these things. Those don't work for me personally. Um, having a breakfast that is high in protein and good, high quality fat sets me up for the whole rest of the day. If I don't have that, uh, my brain isn't on until 10 or 11. And so those three things, and then after breakfast, I'll go back outside if it's warm enough. Sometimes in the winter, it's not, but I'll go back outside and I have kind of a meditation book that I love. And so I'll read the day of like today's day. And then I set a timer on my phone for three minutes and I just breathe and meditate. And it's so simple. That whole thing takes me 30 minutes and then, you know, make up clothes and I'm ready for my day. It's not this massive, long two hour thing, but it, that is that is the routine that I, I stick to all day, every day, weekends, weekdays, every day. Simple practices. Simple practices. Yeah. I think they make a huge difference. And I think a morning routine, even just as from a female perspective, you have so many demands, you wear so many hats. It's just a good thing to get into. I have to agree with you. I love sleeping in, but I do know that when I get up and I do the morning routine, I'm like, yeah, that's just way better for everybody in my life. So yeah, I have a better day. And for me, you know, I try to move my body every day. So I I usually do a workout at some point, but the further I get into my day, the more demands on my time there are and the more choices I have. You know, if I if I get to 5 p.m. and I haven't done my meditation, it's probably not going to happen because by the time I get to 5 p.m., my choices are instead of do I get up and do my meditation or not? My choices are what do I make for dinner? How do I make it for dinner? Do I do a workout or do I go for a run? The dog needs to be walked and my kids need to be fed. Like they're just the amount of decisions that I need to make at five o'clock PM are eight times what the amount of decisions that I need to make it at 6 AM. And so my day can be so variable and, and so fluid and so flexible. And if I've had that morning routine, everything goes better. Totally. And I think it, it forces us to get into the feminine energy where we can really be in that masculine energy of doing and serving. So that morning routine really can make a big, big impact on your health, how you can show up and just your own confidence and your own self-trust to show up for yourself and not feel like you're taking anything away from anybody else. Exactly. Oh, I feel like this conversation has blown by, you know, <laughs> I always ask my guests at the, at the end of an episode, you know, is there any words of wisdom, anything special you want to share with our listeners before we, before we end today? Oh, that's such a good question. I would go back to what I said in the middle of this podcast, starting to get conscious of what are you nourishing? If you can ask yourself that question several times throughout the day at points where you're making decisions. What are you going to eat? How are you going to move? What are you going to do for the next hour? If you can start to ask yourself that question, what am I nourishing? And you can do that consistently. You are going to see huge changes in your health and your well-being and your family life and your personal life. So asking, ask yourself that question. Such a good reminder for all of us. And I think that we talked a lot about of some of the foundational things and the pillars of health and how we can take our power back and our ownership back over what we can do. And I know that today's episode is going to resonate with so many. And I'm just so grateful for people like you who are doing this work, who are helping people, who are educating people and informing people and really just allowing us to take up more space as a society to build abundant health. So thank you so much for even agreeing to be on the show. I'm so grateful for the conversation today. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. 
Thank you so much for tuning in and listening the whole way through on She Empowers the Podcast. Make sure to subscribe anywhere you are listening to podcasts. And if you happen to have iTunes, would you do me a favor and leave a five-star review of the show so more women can learn about what we are doing over here? You can also copy this link and share it on your social media and tag me at sheempowers.co. That is the way we get these beautiful messages out to more and more souls around the world. Thank you so much for being a part of the She Empowers community. Until next time, go lead with love and joy. Thank you.